0: to your
1: just do that heart surgery in us and rid us of ourselves, Lord, that we would just decrease and decrease for you alone are good. Even when we are unfaithful, you are faithful. When we are a mess, you are steadfast and we thank you, Lord. your voice. We recognize you. We thank you, Lord, that for each one of us here, you left the 99 behind and you went and pursued that lost one. I remember being a lost one. I know anyone in here that has spent much time on planet earth has probably been a lost one at some point or another. But God, you are a good shepherd and you are faithful, faithfully watching your sheep and you are faithfully watching us and we owe you everything. We are yours. We love you. In the precious name of Jesus we pray. Amen.
2: You got my chair. I got my chair. Give me my chair. You just have hobbit.
1: to. You just have to stand. There you
2: go. I'd almost prefer it. All right. All right. All right. Good evening, everyone. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. All right, Lord in heaven, thank you again for another Wednesday night with my brothers and sisters in the lord thank you that you've carved out you've allowed us to carve out time to spend with you digging in your word and understanding that what you have for us is is not just merely education but it's it's got a spiritual application it's eternal so lord feed us from your hand tonight and we love you jesus amen We are in 1 Samuel chapter 28. We're going to be starting at verse 3. Last week we got uh, 28 verses 1 and 2 covered, so we're going to pick up at verse 3. Now Samuel had died, and all Israel lamented for him and buried him in Ramah in his own city. And Saul had put the mediums and spiritists out of the land... When we last met, David was at one of the lowest points in his life. It wasn't that he was just down from Saul's pursuits against him, but he was down and out. He was in in a rough spot. And rather than trusting in the Lord for his continued deliverance, David's status as a political fugitive degrades into an actual one. Instead of just being the object of a deranged king's wrath, he succumbs to his fear, and quite frankly, he dishonors the Lord during this period of his life. Not only did he depart from the land of promise, but he aligned himself with the enemies of God, which were the enemies of Israel. And to make matters worse, he resorted to plundering and murdering. And when we and when he came to Akish to pay tribute from the spoils that he, he received, he lied about where he was and who he raided against. It was not good. Now, as armchair quarterbacks, you know, we look at passages like this and you know we think, you know, how awful, I would I would never do such a thing. And first of all, I, I hope you wouldn't. I mean, raiding and pillaging, that's not good anyway. I mean, just don't do it. And, but as it so often goes, the Bible has plenty to say about our thoughts and on what we believe we would wouldn't do, you know, especially under difficult circumstances, especially in those same circumstances when your eyes are turned away from the Lord. In 2 Kings, the king of Syria fell sick, but it was reported to him that Elisha the prophet was nearby and rather than using his, his riches to enlist help from his own people, he decides to seek aid from the nation's enemy, which was Israel at the time. And sending one of his most trusted men, a man by the name of Haziel, the king Ben-Hadad loads him up with riches from Damascus to ask the prophet if he would be healed of his disease. It's an amazing testimony of his faith. In the process of learning that the king would have lived, should he have been given the time to do so, Haziel receives a prophecy concerning himself, and one that paints him as a savage monster. Haziel's response, you know, quite frankly, it was an understandable expression of shock and outrage. And he's quoted as saying, you know, but, but what is your servant, a dog, that he would do this gross thing? And if you read Elisha's account of what he would do and eventually did do, it's horrible. But at that moment in time, the mere thought of Haziel doing such evil was both repulsive and offensive. But, you know, kind of like we talked about, given a bad set of circumstances and especially detachment from the Lord, what the prophet Jeremiah said through the inspiration of God holds true. It has always and it will always. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? But while David is taking shelter in the realm of his enemies to escape Saul... Saul is having to endure his own issues from the poor decisions he's made during his time as Israel's first king. Verse 3 of the text recounts two important details of past significance. One of them takes place at some point earlier in Saul's career. While we're not told when, but I would presume that it was during a point when he still had his senses about him. Saul did what was right by banishing all of those who practiced the dark arts, banished them out of the promised land and failure to comply would have resulted in death. The Hebrew words for mediums and spiritists are ove and yedonai which are translated as those which had familiar spirits and those who were wizards you know we think of Gandalf and the pointy hats and all that stuff but this is a little bit different both of these are masculine nouns which are tied to the practice of necromancy which is essentially communication with the dead to learn about past or future events Yodoni, while defined as one who is properly knowing or even wise, as in the sense of a prophet, is always used in a negative connotation like you know the, the false prophets. You know, the, the Bible distinguishes between the prophets and the false prophets. And what's more is that the book of Leviticus is very clear about interactions with people who consort with the supposed dead, and what is to become of them if they do. Give no regard to mediums and familiar spirits. Do not seek after them, to be defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. Leviticus 19.31 And the person who turns to mediums and familiar spirits To prostitute them himself with them, I will set my face against that person and cut him off from his people. Leviticus twenty six. A man or a woman who is a medium or who has a familiar or who has familiar spirits shall surely be put to death. They shall stone them with stones. Their blood shall be upon them. Leviticus twenty twenty seven. Again, you know, kudos to Saul for that, but as we'll read in a few verses, that decree wasn't implicitly followed by the offenders, nor was it completely carried out by the king's administration or even the king himself. Meanwhile, the opening of verse 3 reminds us of the prophet Samuel's death and Israel's mourning for him. And by this point, Samuel would have been dead for about five years now. The mentioning of this event is to remind us that the king had been without his primary spiritual advisor for a long period of time. And the culmination of that came about from his failure to wipe out the Amalekites, as the Lord commanded him to back in chapter 15. In fact, in, in chapter 15:35, we read, And Samuel went no more to see Saul until the day of his death. Nevertheless, Samuel mourned for Saul, and the Lord regretted that he made Saul king over Israel. And that must have been heartbreaking for Samuel. And just, you know, here he was, this, this great king, the potential to be a great king, and he, and he blows it. Then the Philistines gathered together and came and encamped at Shunem. So Saul gathered all Israel together and they encamped at Gilboa. And when Saul saw the army of the Philistines, he was afraid and his heart trembled greatly. And when Saul inquired of the Lord, the Lord did not answer him either by dreams or by Urim or by the prophets. So here... We see uh, another inconsistency with uh, with Saul's mental state. But before I go into that, I want us again to remember that we're all pretty much armchair quarterbacks, you know, right now, right? I mean, none of us have seen firsthand the kind of battle and warfare that Saul and his men did, especially during their day. I remember um, taking a history class. Uh, well, one of my history classes in high school. And, you know, we had this romanticized idea of like ancient battle, you know, knights in armor and stuff like that. And you using swords to subdue your enemies. It was brutal, man. It was brutal. A lot of times if you weren't killed in combat from these big sword hacking in, you, you died of infection or whatever. several days later, nothing glorious about it. So we had, they had to deal with this. So for us to be puffed up about what we would or wouldn't have done Were we in his shoes, that's irrelevant. We're simply reviewing the historical text and looking to see it through a spiritual application. And with that being said, and given what we know about Saul's military prowess, we can understand that this battle wasn't merely a smash and grab. You know, there's more to it. So, you know, a lot of times kings would gather together at certain times of the year, um, try and get more land, get more riches, whatever. Um, but this, this one, this particular battle was was different. There's a type of dread that set into King Saul's heart, and even he, with all his knowledge and, and military experience in battle, he he just can't shake it. Like he's terrified. And while we're not told about the Philistines' army's size, it probably was a substantial, you know, a lot of them, probably a lot of them. You know, since in chapter nine, 29, it was reported that all of the combined forces of the Philistines were united to go to war. It's almost like the pagan nation, you know, we, we've had it with Saul. We're, we're done with them. We, we need to get rid of this guy. And they were gathering everything they had to throw at him. But whatever the case, it was enough to get Saul's attention and drive him back to the Lord for help. At least on a superficial scale. But now, at this point, we come to the result of the king's continued disregard of God's will the Lord did not answer him, either by dreams or by Urim or the prophets. King Saul stopped listening to God years ago. And now, sadly, God stopped listening to him. Christians or people claiming to be that, be careful. While the Lord holds you in His hands, He will acquiesce to your decision if you ultimately decide to forsake Him. You know, Amy and I, when we lived in Wisconsin, we went to uh, Calvary Chapel up there, and and uh, I had a pastor, Pastor Jeff, great guy, love him, phenomenal brother in the Lord, and he he always used to tell us, you know, you know, if you don't like worship, and now. You're gonna hate heaven. That's what we do up there all the time. <laughs> and so, you know, if, if you get the impression that oh man, heaven's just gonna be a killjoy because you know all they're doing is just praising and worshiping Jesus. Oh, to tell you, man, you know that's that's what we're gonna be doing for all eternity, doing His will. The Lord. And if that's not for you, I mean, you know, make your decision. But as for me and my house. You know, we will serve the Lord. but you know with, with that said, you know may that never be the case with us to forsake him May we always be by his side. If you're one of those people who've backslidden, repent turn back to him. ask for forgiveness and seek him. You'll be surprised by how quickly he can restore you if you let him. But as a biblical warning, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift, and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the good word of God and the powers to powers of the age to come, if they fall away, to renew them again to repentance, since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to open shame. Hebrews six four through six. You know, there, there are some interesting and educated arguments on predestination and eternal salvation and free will to go back and forth. You know, A lot of that stuff is out there. But I'm a firm believer in, in the wisdom that, that Pastor Chuck used to give. And I'm going to be paraphrasing here, okay? But it was along the lines of, you know, all that the scholars figure that out. But as for me, I'm sticking with the Lord and his will for my life. And I love that. I loved how he just broke it down. Like, hey, you guys can debate that, but I'm sticking with Jesus. It was beautiful. Then Saul said to his servants, Find me a woman who is a medium that I may go to her and inquire of her. And his servants said to him, In fact, there's a woman who's a medium in Endor. So, Saul disguised himself and put on other clothes, and he went and two men with him, and they came to the woman by night. And he said, Please conduct a seance for me and bring up for me the one I shall name to you. So, before I continue on, all right, I, I, I've got to be the bearer of some bad news here, all right. For some of my science fiction fans here, there are no Ewoks in this end door. I'm sorry, you know that that took place a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away. No Ewoks. Sorry, guys. But you know, with, with that out of the way, you know our Endor, um, it sat in in a northern, not the northernmost, but in a northern portion of Israel, and kind of southwest, like you can see from from Lake Galilee. And if you don't remember, this isn't the first time we've read about this city, and it's not going to be the last either. Our first encounter with Endor is found in the book of Joshua, uh, 1711, actually. It's, it's one of the territories being distributed to the children of Israel after the initial conquest. It's mentioned once more in Psalms 8310 regarding Jabin, who we actually encountered in the book of Judges. But here, in this age, it's home to a medium or a witch, you know, whichever you wish to call her, Unfortunately, this one is more, you know, intimately familiar with spiritual intelligence than Madam Cleo was in the early 2000s. you know, we we've, we've already covered her so I'm not going to jump back into that, but but there are a lot of interesting topics that the Bible covers and, and some of them are are too profound for me to shrug off as, "Man, eh, that's interesting." And this is absolutely one of one of those it's one of those where instances you know, where we're given a snapshot or even a peek behind the curtain to the spiritual realm and from a safe vantage point. That's not something you want to be messing on your own time, so just you know, take the Bible's word for it. Don't mess with it. And Saul, feeling rejected by the Lord, but knowing that he still needed guidance for the upcoming battle, disguised himself moved his army, moved away from his army at Gilboa under cover of darkness, crossed enemy lines and made it to Endor un, unnoticed. So on the map, Mount Gilboa, that's where he was. shunem that's where the enemy was. So he had to like skirt around them. He disguised himself and made it all the way across to Endor. And as we'll see, made it back too. I mean, that's, that's, an, that's an impressive feat. And once there, and get this, once he's there, he asks help from an enemy of god to know god's will and that from someone he himself banished years ago so skull uh, i'm sorry Uh, then the woman said to him look you know what saul has done how he has cut off the mediums and spiritists from the land why then do you lay a snare for my life to cause me to die And Saul swore to her by the Lord, saying, As the Lord lives, no punishment shall come upon you for this thing. Then the woman said, All right, well, who do you want me to bring up for you? And and he said, Bring up Samuel for me. And when the woman saw Samuel, she cried out with a loud voice. And the woman spoke to Saul, saying, Why have you deceived me? For you are Saul. And the king said to her, Do not be afraid. What did you see? And the woman said to Saul, I saw a spirit ascending out of the earth. And so he said to her, What was his form? And she said, An old man is coming up, and he is covered with a mantle. And Saul perceived that it was Samuel, and he stooped with his face to the ground and bowed down. So after Saul's request, Endor's witch reminds the stranger of King Saul's decree of banishment and death upon discovery. Again, you know, a man or woman who is a medium or who has familiar spirits shall surely be put to death. They shall stone him with stones. Their blood shall be on their own head. Leviticus 20:27. 20, but here, right now, Saul guarantees the woman's safety from God's holy directive, by swearing on God's behalf that she's doing him a favor. I mean, it's, it, it's mockery born out of desperation. And here we're at another debatable portion of Scripture. Again, this is one I find fascinating, so, you know, because we're getting some behind the scenes uh, look at, at the realm of spirits. Now, for those who call on spirits in past times or present, they permit their bodies to be used as vessels for communication. All right? I would venture to say that most people who, you know, who claim this, you know, I talked to angels or ghosts or whatever, you know, they're probably just some charlatans trying to make a buck off of you, but but for those who willingly open up themselves, they're either hearing what's being spoken to them, then relaying that back to their client or worse, not that any of it's good, but or worse, allowing themselves to be possessed by that entity to deliver the message. And there are some serious issues with this, outside of it being strictly forbidden by God in the first place. The first of those stem from the source of the information. When a person dies, their soul goes to one of two places. In the case of the Old Testament, before Jesus accomplished His work on the cross, you either went to paradise, also known by some as, as Abraham's bosom, or you went to Hades or hell. You know, see Luke sixteen for, for God's own account of how it was before His His redemptive work. One or the other. That's just a divine directive. Do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. Don't haunt your relatives. <laughs> Don't try to get Ebenezer Scrooge to see the error of his ways. It's paradise or Hades or nothing. You know, it's, there's no wandering. And now, since that's the case, and the spirits of the dead were kept in one area or the other, that only leaves one other culprit for feeding mediums personal information about a client's past. Demons demons are fallen angels in a spirit form that know all about family histories, world history and so on. They've been around, they've seen it. They know what goes on. And if you've met someone who says they're they're talking to ghosts and are genuinely convinced that they are, they're not. They're talking to demons. Right. And usually, as it's been, you know, reported time and time again, Drugs are usually the gateway to making that happen. So Christians, stay away from that stuff. Now, in this business with Saul, we have something of an anomaly here. All right, this is this is a little different. This was not the normal order of business for the medium, because when she sees you know Samuel, she starts freaking out, and and the shred is dropped. I mean, Saul's busted. It's him. She knows it. And after receiving a description of who she saw, the king bows to the ground and prepares to receive some really bad news. Now, the question that begs to be answered here is, is this. all right? This is a doozy here. Is this r- the real spirit of the prophet Samuel or a demon impersonating him? You know, scholars have debated this one for centuries and still do, and, and I'm sure there are some phenomenal points on either side. But before we can you know, work to answer that, we, we need a little bit more information. So we're going to pick up on verse 15. Now Samuel said to Saul, Why have you disturbed me by bringing me up? And Saul answered, I am deeply distressed, for the Philistines make war against me, and God has departed from me, and does not answer me anymore, neither by prophets nor by dreams. Therefore I have called you, that you may reveal to me what I should do. Oh, Then Samuel said, So why do you ask me, seeing the Lord has departed from you and has become your enemy, and the Lord has done for himself as he spoke by me? For the Lord has torn the kingdom out of your hand and given it to your neighbor David, because you did not obey the voice of the Lord, nor execute his fierce wrath upon Amalek. Therefore, the Lord has done this thing to you this day. Moreover, the Lord will deliver Israel with you into the hand of the Philistines, and tomorrow you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of the Philistines. Ooh. That is some heavy stuff right there. And quite frankly, it's, it's, it's downright sad. But now we can start getting into the weeds on, on who or what this is. Now, while all of this is consistent with recorded scripture, you know, we can go back through 1 Samuel and read pretty much in line what what this person has said or the spirit has said and you know from Samuel's account it very well could have been him now here's the kicker you know remember that the Lord can and will use any means he feels like using to accomplish his will allowing Samuel to make a pit stop back to the land of living is not beyond God's abilities We've seen it before. Well, we'll see it in the future tense, but you know, we remember when Jesus was transfigured on the mount, right? He allowed Moses and Elijah in their spirit forms to be present with him. His redemptive work wasn't done at that point. They had not yet ascended into heaven. And what's fascinating about that instance is that Peter, James, and John knew who Moses and Elijah were even though they'd never seen him before. I mean, they'd been dead for, you know, who knows how long at that point. So, in this context, I can't imagine it would have been too difficult for Saul to figure out. I mean, she pretty much described him as he was in his life. Not that he would have remained, you know, with the flesh and everything else, but pretty close approximation to to what he resembled in life because he hadn't received his glorified body yet. But, like we also talked about demons being ancient spirits have a great understanding of past and present events so the verdict is still out since all that took place between samuel and saul you know the conversations that they had could have been very well known among them they would have known that now the kicker to this whole thing isn't just the detailed account of past events but of future ones and while demons can whisper in someone's ear about what they think the future holds the key to that is accuracy you know someone says tomorrow it's going to be 85 degrees and sunny and blah 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 you know it, maybe do you really know or are you just kind of guessing or using what you know devices you have to to guess i mean you just don't know there's only so much they can they can know since God is the one who dispenses that information. He either allows him to know or not. And this to me is, is why, again, this is just, just me here. It's why I believe that God allowed Samuel not just to return for a guest appearance, but exercise his prophetic ability once more to deliver Saul's fate to him. And tomorrow, you and your sons will be with me. The Lord will also deliver the army of Israel into the hand of Philistines. Again, you know, people on either side. Noah is a demon, Noah's Saul. You make your own decisions. But I'm that's that's pretty impressive to me. As sad as it is, of course. And you know, this may be kind of uncouth for me to say, but I'm personally more devastated by the loss of Jonathan than than anything else. That's terrible. All right. Where am I at? Twenty-five here. I'm I'm sorry, twenty. Yep. So immediately Saul fell full length on the ground and he was dreadfully afraid because of the words of Samuel and there was no strength in him for he had eaten no food all day or all night and the woman came to Saul and saw that he was severely troubled wouldn't be and said to him look your maidservant has obeyed your voice and I have put my life in my hands and heeded your words which you spoke to me now therefore please Heed also the voice of your maidservant, and let me set a piece of bread before you and eat, that you may have your strength when you go your way. It's like, hey, I'm just going to give you some food, and you need to get out of here. That was crazy. But he refused and said, I will not eat. So his servants, together with the woman, urged him and heeded their voice. Then he arose from the ground and sat on the bed. Now the woman had a fatted calf in the house, and she hastened to kill it. And she took flour and kneaded it and baked unleavened bread from it. So she brought it before Saul and his servants and they ate. Then they arose and went away that night. So basically, King Saul had been handed a prophetic death sentence. Not something you want to get. And again, you know, again, for me personally, it's not just him, but it's his sons, especially Jonathan, who had just been nothing but a champion for his dad, even though his dad tried to kill him twice, I think. Either way you look at it, I mean, it's really just tragic. There, there's nothing more that could have been done at this point. A Signed, sealed, and delivered, I think is the expression that's used. He couldn't run. He couldn't hide. And even if he did... It wouldn't have mattered because God's word always comes to pass. Always. Now, if the king's sins weren't enough, you know, his, his past ones, if they, even those weren't enough, he had to add this event to his list. Turn with me to First Chronicles chapter 10. First Chronicles chapter 10. Move right in your Bible and we'll pick up in verse 13 before we close out. First Chronicles 10:13. So Saul died from his unfaithfulness which he committed against the Lord because he did not keep the word of the Lord and also because he consulted a medium for guidance but did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore he killed him and turn the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. So you remember how in verse 3 of chapter 28, it talks about how Saul sought the Lord, uh, but the Lord didn't answer him. You know, Saul wasn't known for having the greatest amount of patience, was he? You know, we've seen that track record. I don't know. Again, this is just speculation right here, but perhaps if he would have repented waited on the Lord, like genuinely waited on the Lord, maybe the Lord would have done something. But he got impatient and he went and saw a medium. He went to the enemy to find what the Lord wanted. So, Lord, please keep us from that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, keep us out of the camp of the enemy. Keep us from going to the enemy to finding out what you want because it's never going to be good. But you yourself are good. You yourself know what is good for us because you love us. You care for us. Lord, hide us under the shadow of your wings from our enemies. May we never flee from your presence. May we always stay close to you. And Lord, in those times where we just, we get so bent out of shape or shaken up that we just run away, Lord, please forgive us and bring us back to you. Lord, get us all home safely tonight, and, and may we prime our hearts to to worship you as as we close out. Thank you so much, Jesus, for this fellowship and for your word. Amen.
1: I feel guilty telling people to stand if I don't stand, so <laughs> so y'all stand. gift of the holy spirit and we lean on him so hard lord just to get through each day and so saturate us with your presence and lord just let that spirit of love that you have put in us just overflow god we we want to be more and more like you and so as we depart from this place would we pray that this would not just be academic knowledge or intellectual understanding that we've been receiving here, but that would be a heart knowledge that pierces bone and marrow, Lord, that changes us from the inside out. We thank you for the work you've done for us and for the blood of Jesus. It's in his name that we give you thanks and praise. Amen. You're dismissed.